Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Tom, for that rocking song, man. That was, well, that was you awesome. You did wear your Sturgis shirt. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> I don't know if I'd look good in Sturgis shirt. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't think you'd look good in a leather halter. Oh, okay. That's what I was wondering. <laughs> cool. By the way, I've enjoyed Sturgis. It's been fun to have all the, the bikers and just, uh, yeah, love, love, the, love how God brings so many people together for things like that. So there was a time in my life where um, fear ruled my heart, and it would have been almost impossible for me to share with anyone about Jesus. My heart was bound up in fear and shyness, and as we just saying, maybe it's not fear, maybe it's shame, maybe it's guilt, but there's something that keeps us from sharing the name of Jesus, and it's a lot of different things. Um, for us who have encountered Jesus and his goodness and his glory, um, we, we want to share him, but what is it that keeps us from sharing the name of Jesus and it could be unbelief it could be a lack of belief but for many of us there's belief but what will move us to actually share the name of Jesus in Romans chapter 10 it says Paul says we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved and for many of us, believing in our hearts is one thing, but, but confessing with our mouths is a whole other thing because there's a cost to sharing Jesus. Um, for many of us in, here in America, the cost maybe doesn't seem that great. I mean, maybe we get ostracized. Maybe people think poorly of us or they think thoughts um, that are untrue, but kind of stick us with labels saying either we're, we're bigoted or racist or unloving to certain kinds of people and all that is untrue and wrong but, but the culture has stigmatized many of us with labels and the early church had labels in fact the early church said the Christians had love feasts where they said they would drink the blood of children well that was so untrue but they had heard rumors about communion and people drinking wine and remembering the blood of Jesus and they they twisted that and they labeled Christians with things and so there's hostility in our world towards Jesus and right now this morning there's brothers and sisters in Christ who have confessed the name of Jesus and they're behind bars some of them are being beaten some have lost homes some have lost family members some have lost everything for the name of Jesus. I think about Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, and he had a radical encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And before that time, he would have been totally ashamed of the name of Jesus. In fact, he was so ashamed of the name of Jesus that he persecuted Christians. He was the one throwing them in jail. He was the one approving of their deaths. But he found out that Jesus is Lord, and he confessed openly that he had been wrong and that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And, and he gave himself completely to Jesus. 
But what did it cost Paul? Because in Rome, there was a saying, Caesar is Lord. And for the Jews, they, they were offended that, that Jesus could be Lord. And so whether Jew or Gentile, wherever Paul went proclaiming, Jesus is Lord, come, he will save you. People resisted. And not just maligned him with words, but he was physically beaten. He was thrown in jail. He was whipped. But every time he would get back up and he would go to the next town and say, Jesus is Lord. For, for Paul, Jesus was a treasure, a glory that was worth the cost, worth the beatings, worth prison. And today, many Christians have said, Jesus is worth it. But this morning, what would cause some of us to say, no, I'm not willing and that is what Paul is wanting to encourage us with in the letter of Romans. That we too can be unashamed of the good news of Jesus. That we too can see the treasure of what he's worth. That he's worth more than anything else. That he's worth sacrificing our lives for. And not because we're so great, but because we understand that he sacrificed his life for us. <laughs> that he gave everything for us, that he loved us first, that he was willing to leave the glory of heaven to call us his children. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that we too have been adopted and called sons and daughters of God, the creator of the universe, the owner of everything, has included us and his family, and he's given us everything, life and goodness and grace and everything that we need to live a life of blessing, of goodness. When we realize that, when we realize the treasure of Jesus, we too become unashamed. This morning, as we continue in chapter 11, we're going to be in a transition this morning. A big transition in the book of Romans from, from the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, this incredible message that Paul has spent 11 chapters describing. And all its it's, it's glory and it's goodness and it's truth that changes us, transforms us. But now, starting in chapter 12, Paul is going to look at the power of the gospel practically in our lives. So if you've been sitting here through Romans saying, okay, this is wonderful, this is good, but what, is, what difference does this make in my life? Well, the next months, we're going to be looking at the transforming power of the gospel in our everyday lives. How are we to live knowing Jesus. But before we get there, starting next week, we're going to look at verses 33 to 36. Would you stand with me as we read these verses? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. So I have to confess in preparing this week... Um, I struggled to come up with words <laughs> to share with you this morning. 
these verses are so beautiful and important and they change everything for us in thinking about the transformation that Jesus wants to do in our hearts. But how can I put words to what Paul is, is, is sharing with us this morning? He, he just spent 12, 11 chapters describing the beauty of the gospel, the, the, the incredible truth that Jesus came to save and he justifies and he sanctifies, he makes us new and holy and, and he adopts us as his children and then he glorifies us and he, and he shares his glory with us. And then Paul, in a sense, comes to this point of utter worship, utter amazement, awe, wonder of who God is, who God is. You see, we are unable to transform ourselves. And so it's only an encounter with the living God that enables this heart of fear to be transformed into a heart of boldness for Jesus. That would transform a Paul who, who was zealous in his religion from a man proud of his religious zeal to a man utterly broken and willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. Only a God who can transform your heart from shame or guilt or, or whatever struggle you have to a heart that's free, as we sang this morning. And so we must encounter God. In fact, here at Rimrock, we have a mission statement that's, that's printed right out in the doors when you come in. It says, experience God, embrace grace, engage. Well, embracing grace and engaging is only possible if we first experience God. And that's what these verses are here in Romans. It's experiencing God and His glory. We must utterly be aware of the glory of God and that we are not glorious, but that He is. And so in verse 33, what does Paul say? Oh, the depth of God, the depth. Um, as I was thinking about that, a couple images came to my mind. Um, one is looking up and there's a term that we say deep space and uh, like you may, or like me maybe you have at certain times in your life looked up into the sky and wondered at the grandeur of a night sky with the stars and the planets and you've looked at a sunset or a sunrise and thought wow and scientists have peered into the heavens and they've sent satellites with telescopes to peer and, and as the further we look into space the more we say oh the depths <laughs> oh the depths because we are only beginning to fathom the, the infinite breadth of how big our universe is and as we look up into the sky we are caught in wonder at the depths now we believe God is the creator of heaven and earth. And if God, who, who could create a, a universe that is unimaginable, unfathomable, unmeasurable, how big is our God? How big is He? If He could speak that depth into being, that depth of space is only a glimpse at the depths of God. 
The other word that we think of of depths is looking down. Just this past week, my family and I went to Wind Cave and here in the Black Hills, and it's interesting as you go down into the earth and you see these little crevices and you wonder how far does it go, <laughs> right? There's wonder, there's amazement. Um, I think of springs of water, right? As water comes from the deep parts of the earth and, and that water seems unquenchable. It just comes up, it springs out and, and you can use it for generations and generations and water still comes out of the depths. And so these are created things, the heavens, deep space, the depths of the earth, but nothing compares to the depths of God, the creator of the heavens and the creator of the springs that we drink from. He is deep. <laughs> and the gospel, this story of God's salvation, his plan of redemption for us is a deep deep, beautiful thing. And as Paul has, has tried to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to describe to us the gospel, the good news of Jesus, Paul's heart is, is caught up in the depths of God. And we too must gaze at the beauty of the gospel, at the beauty of God, and come to grips with the unfathomable, unsearchable ways of God. He is deep. I think of what Job said, or actually one of his friends said to Job in the book of Job, can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are as high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea, the depths. God is deep. And in these verses, Paul talks about three things that, in a sense, begin to reveal the, the, the depths of God. One is his riches. In verse 33, oh, the depths of his riches. <laughs> now, maybe you, like me, are sometimes awed by wealth. As you go through this life, sometimes you encounter great wealth, and it's amazing. As you look at the extravagance of what humans have been able to do with the resources here of earth. They've been able to build incredible homes, incredible buildings, skyscrapers, great rocket ships, great wealth and luxury. But all of that pales in comparison to the, to the wealth of God. The depths, just like the highest deep space in the springs, His wealth is beyond measuring. I think about myself and I think about my own energy, my own strength and, and even this week I almost lost my voice and, and as I think about my effort in, in trying to build things and I think of my tiredness and my ability sometimes to get sick and to mess things up and I think about my own limits and then I think about the limits of us as people here on earth. Even though we've built amazing things, there's a limit. We're finite. So even the highest skyscrapers will crumble and will fall. Even the, the most amazing things that we build with our wealth will not last. You see, our wealth is a fading wealth. My bank account has a limit. <laughs> My credit has a limit. I, I don't have resources all the time. 
it runs out. But the wealth of God does not run out. Think about it. Infinite wealth, it never runs out. Energy that never wanes. He never tires. He never grows weary. He never runs out of resources. That is amazing. Oh, the depths of the riches of God. And how is this seen in the gospel? It's seen in his mercy and his grace. Think about all the people who God has called to himself, who has saved. If, if each of us here raised our hand and said, I believe in Jesus, I am a follower of Jesus, and this is what he saved me from, and we began to list our sins, we list the brokenness in our lives, we list the mistakes we've made, and all the wrong that we've ever done, we could fill this room with all the horrible things in our hearts. But think about it. We're just a small, tiny, little fraction of all of humanity. And yet, the cross, the gospel of God, of what Jesus has done, was enough to forgive every sin of every person who has ever lived. Every wrong that has ever been done on this planet, the cross was sufficient. That is wealth. That is wealth of grace and mercy. You see, I get impatient. I sometimes struggle to forgive. It's hard to forgive, but God is his wealthy. He's able to forgive everyone, all people. He's able. He's big enough. He's wealthy enough in his mercy and his grace. He's wealthy enough in his goodness. He can share his goodness with every single person, with every single created thing. There's no limit to his goodness. There's no limit to his faithfulness. Think about it. In marriage, we are called by, to commit to each other faithfully for a lifetime, right? But a lot of times we begin to think and expect that person to do things for us, right? We expect, we have conditions and we want them to do certain things and we, we have expectations and, and our faithfulness sometimes is limited. But God is unlimited in his faithfulness. He is always faithful to his word. His commitment is not based on what we do. His commitment is based on his love and his promise. He's always there. He will never leave us. He will never abandon us. He will always keep his promises to us. Oh, the wealth, the depths of his riches. And then the second thing Paul says is the depths of his wisdom. The depths of his wisdom. So not only is he rich, and all that he has in his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his righteousness, he is wise in all his decisions. I always uh, like to define wisdom as making the right decision at the right time. And for us as human beings, that means making the right decision at the right time for God's glory according to his will, because he's the source of wisdom. But think about it. How many decisions have you made just this week, and how many of them weren't the right decision? <laughs> I could go back and I could list a few decisions I made this week that weren't the right ones. But God, in his depths of his wisdom, never makes the wrong decision. Always the right decision. His ways are right. And his ways always bring blessing. The, 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 um, the Proverbs talk about wisdom being a treasure like diamonds, like golds, because wisdom brings blessing. When you make the right decision at the right time, what happens? Blessing, goodness. When we make the wrong decision, it brings 
suffering, hardship, difficulty. But God's wisdom always brings blessing. His plan of salvation, His plan to justify us, His plan to sanctify us, His plan to glorify us is the right decision at the right time for each of our lives. Think about it. At just the right time, Jesus came into your life and He saved you at just the right time. Oh, how deep is the wisdom of God. And then His knowledge. Oh, the depths of God's knowledge. There's a saying we have, knowledge is power. Why do we spend so much of our resources going to school and learning? Because we know knowing gives us influence. It gives us abilities to do things, to use resources, to, to be able to live differently. But we have a limit in our knowledge. We are incapable of knowing everything. But God is not. His knowledge has no limit. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. God's power to use all that he knows, he has designed his power not to destroy, but to save. He uses his knowledge not to create weapons of destruction, but, but weapons of grace and of love. Weapons that bring life and healing and forgiveness in our, into our world. Oh, praise God. Oh, how deep his riches, how deep his wisdom, how deep his knowledge. And so Paul says, therefore, starting in verse 34 and 35, therefore, he is Lord. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? There's nothing that we can add to him. There's nothing that we can bring to the table because God is limitless, infinite, and then in verse 35, he says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? He is the giver. We are the receivers. God owns everything. And yet, what is the great truth of Romans 8? He adopts us. <laughs> All that he owns, he has invited us to own with him. We are called heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. So God, he is Lord, he is the giver, and we are the receivers, which what? Creates gratitude <laughs> gratitude our hearts are filled with thanksgiving as we realize the, the, the depths of the riches of God the depths of his wisdom the depths of his knowledge and how he has applied that uniquely in each of our lives to save us to rescue us to make us new to transform us into the people that he's called us to be it's beautiful and here is the last part in verse 36 because God has done all this because for from him and through him and for him are all things. You see, there is no greater glory than God. There is no greater treasure than God. One of Satan's great deceptions is that we create other treasures or we look for other gods or other things. But all those idols are worthless, the Bible says. All our treasures are nothing compared to the treasure of God. And so the Bible's message to us is God's glory is our greatest good. We were created for God's glory. <laughs> That's why we exist. That's why we live. That's why we move. That's why we breathe because we were made for God's glory. Our glory is fading. 
God's glory is infinite. It's increasing. But when we recognize the glory of God and we live in that glory, we share in His glory. And that, my brothers and sisters, becomes our greatest joy, our greatest delight, our greatest treasure. And that is why Paul was willing to be beaten. That's why he was willing to go to prison. That's why Eric and Sarah are willing to go to China. Because they know there's a greater glory. The worship team's going to come up and we're going to sing because there really is no other response than to sing. Our words fail, but our hearts, when we encounter the living God in all His glory, the Bible says every knee and every tongue <coughs> will bow and it will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so the scope of this isn't just in church. This isn't just for church folks. All things, business, government, military, everything, all things will one day recognize the glory of and this, my dear brothers and sisters, gives us courage to be unashamed to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. So we're going to sing this song, Be Unto Your Name, and then we're going to sing the doxology after that. Does that work? Amen. Let's do it. We are a moment. You are forever. Lord of the ages, God before time, we are a vapor, you are eternal, love everlasting, reigning on high, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Highest praises, honor, and glory be unto your name. Be unto your name. We are the broken. You are the healer, Jesus, redeemer, my 